0: Now, if you follow the calendar closely, we are in the year of 2023. Now, keep in mind, we are just in the beginning of the year. But meanwhile, the war in Ukraine still takes place. At this moment, I think few of us that we are more interested in knowing the question or maybe answer the question, should the world be ready for the failure of Russia or Vladimir Putin? And also at this moment, how come the war still continues and even though that no one talks about it, or at least it's not among the hot topics among the mainstream medias. However, in this episode, we need to talk about the impact going on today regarding the war in Ukraine and also how we're supposed to understand this strategy or should we say this military collapse behind the Reputin. But meanwhile, in this month, it's rather crucial for the country of China. Not only the whole nation celebrates the Chinese New Year, but get this, China today might not be as popular as we think, because some of the parts of the world are making these general noises, and especially related to political noises, that using China as this political target and trying to bring China down instead of lifting it up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can't find a better guest, or should I say, even a much more perfect guest than the speaker, which is called Tom Lord. Now, if you're familiar with our show, then you know Tom. Tom Lord is a researcher who studies political violence and a co-founder of MilitantWire.com. His work primarily focuses on left versus right violence in Europe, violent protests, and urban guerrilla groups. Now, without further ado, brother, welcome back. To the missing piece, and happy 2023.
1: Good morning, Will. Really quickly, this is my cat. His name is Jimmy, and he's upset because he has a cone on his head. I thought I would let him say hello to you and your audience. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: Good morning to you, Will, and a happy 2023,
0: sir. Well, Tom, let's bring back some of the news that took place in the year of 2022, that the whole world was watching that Latmir Zelensky, you know, again, the president of... Ukraine was invited to the U.S., and again, he gave this profound speech in front of the Congress, and of course, the whole world, and should I say, the entire world, to pay attention to the speech, as, as arousing this speech sounded... But meanwhile, that people are still saying that Ukraine and both nations, Ukraine and Russia, are equally draining out the resources at this moment because it's been so long. And again, it's been very tiring for the people on both sides. But at this moment, how much do you think the U.S. should continue to send military weapons and resources, especially financial packages, to Ukraine. Meanwhile, domestically speaking, the debt ceiling—it's has been the center of the whole topic these days. Yeah. So, how how do you think that U.S. is supposed to show the attitude? Sh- is it time for U.S. to st- step aside in uh, when it comes to the war? Or you think that U.S. or any other countries in Europe or the whole world need to continue to shoulder the responsibilities with Ukraine in order to win the war over Russia? What's your take, brother?
1: I'm, go- I'm not going to, I'm not going to, pro- I'm very cowardly not going to provide my personal opinion, but I will frame for your audience the two schools of thought here in the United States. So, uh, on the right, in the U.S., um, conservative and right-wing Americans are very upset about us depleting our military stockpiles mm-hmm. and sending as many arms as we are over to the ukraine uh, and i can give some specific examples like i remember um i sure, like you know like raytheon uh at the very beginning of this war th- who's a military defense contractor mainly works in aerospace and and m- advanced ballistics and missiles and things like that raytheon was telling the department of defense as early as the spring of 2022 that United States military has, for instance, run out of um, uh, our stockpiles of stinger missiles. The Stinger missile is a man portable anti-air defense system or a man pads. Um, they, they go back to the Cold War but they're a shoulder-fired missile that can lock on and track uh, uh, fixed-wing and rotary aircraft. Um, it, it, we've sent so many over the, to, to, to Ukraine that our stockpiles are basically depleted. And when the Department of Defense asked Raytheon how difficult it is to uh, begin manufacturing Stinger missiles again, Raytheon said that they would have to bring people out of retirement. Like, it's been 30 years since we've produced these things, and they're not on the production line anymore. So uh, accompanying that, uh, conservative Americans would say just as you mentioned will yeah we are we are now you know we're we're renegotiating the debt ceiling there doesn't seem to be a ceiling on Mm. the american debt uh we just keep printing more and more money and um that segment of american society is really pissed off about the billions of dollars that are going to fight a war in ukraine and in ukrainian bodies and american arms and russia Um, And that's how they frame it. On the other side, a a large segment of American population makes a strong moral argument that is very much encoded in especially post-20th century, like post-Wilsonian American DNA, which is a sovereign nation was attacked, invaded, and is, is being subject to violence and atrocity and we can't let this stand this is Mm. our moral job and you know we hold the sword and the shield to come in and defend this nation and defend democracy now neither of those are entirely accurate as as they reflect geopolitics um i think you and i could probably the two of us take a more nuanced and sophisticated view on how the transatlantic alliance otherwise known as nato has really Overextended itself quite literally as well as in terms of policy um, and how that was inevitably going to affect Russia. Um, and then again, I think I just recently quoted like the, the lad is in my mind because he was on the Joe Rogan show and he, sp- he spoke, you know, but we, we won't speak about my opinions of Stratford, but he said a couple of interesting things or many interesting things. And one of the things he said, um, about a Russian war is that you're never going to rob Russia from its buffer zone unless unless you're prepared for a very serious fight Russia is a declining power demographically as well as in all other respects outside of its nuclear arsenal mm. and um, the Russian elite is determined to die on its own terms and its own terms involving having Ukraine as a part of their sphere of influence so I think there's a lot to be said for that um, and uh, I don't I don't know, in terms of American appetite for continuing to send guns and money over to Ukraine we'll see, there's now a uh, slim majority Republican controlled Congress um, they don't seem to be uh, at least the right of the right does not seem to be terribly enthusiastic about continuing this war in the fashion that we have, and you are hearing more talk in the United States about what a peace process would look like mm. so i don't know we'll see
0: well i think brother i agree with you because right now just as how we perceive the war initially or at the first place that nobody could understand or even to comprehend This political or this economic intention behind Vladimir Putin. But right now, at this moment, look at where we are today. Now, brother, I want to shift the gear to another country, as we mentioned before, also related to the country of Russia, which is China. And again, as I say this before, um, I encourage everyone going go online to look for the articles on military militantwire.com. Because, again, uh, people like Tom, it's just not just not beyond their um uh, again their um effort to really show us some of the factual some of the unheard stories that we all need to understand now brother i want to get to our conversation regarding china now lately i've been actively following the articles related to the country of china now i want to uh, get something uh, based uh, and also for your reaction one of the articles pointed out that i the Islamic State's Quransan province, which is known for as ISKP, has markedly intensified their criticism of Taliban foreign relations in recent months, with one of the primary targets being China. You know, again, we know that when it comes to China... We'll look at this economic prosperity and we'll look at this political uh, uh, engagement uh, with any other countries under Belt and Road Initiative. Of course, that really uh, make the U.S. to feel more competitive with the country. But meanwhile, help us to understand, brother, why do you think that this Islamic state heavily criticized this Taliban-China relations? What is the point behind the criticism and how do you how much do you think that could actually influence china at this moment
1: for your audience i'm going to use kind of a juvenile anecdote from my childhood when i was a child one of my favorite real-time strategy computer games was a offshoot of the command and conquer series called command and conquer generals and what was unique about the series is that the games developers predicted that as the united states waned as a power and began to evacuate the middle east that the jihadi the militant jihadi movements that the united states had really stirred up would begin targeting china as china filled that vacuum and it was rather prescient and interesting for a bunch of video game developers but that's essentially what's happening the united states packed up its gear and left afghanistan and in so it left a massive not only security vacuum, but it also left a uh, diplomatic vacuum, a financial vacuum, um, and a power vacuum overall, <coughs> pardon me, that the Chinese have not directly sought to exploit by, you know, immediately going in and um, uh, and picking up, like, development contracts in Afghanistan. What they've done is they have developed a working relationship with the... Uh, emirate of afghanistan and the the taliban government um Mm. and you know that's just basic geostrategy. um the taliban does not excuse me the chinese government does not foist upon foreign governments a lot of the uh social and um other restrictions or criteria that the u.s department of state does so for instance china would willingly have a working economic and perhaps even security relationship with a government like that of the taliban without telling the taliban that they need to prioritize women's rights and education for mm. instance and as an example um so china's done this and that's basically to be expected um you know given their structure their the, the values of the chinese communist party and, and just basic geostrategy. this is what we can expect the world power to do it's pissed off iskp as you said who is fighting the taliban uh the khorasan province is in the north east east of the country um historic khorasan goes into iran it's it's a historic region but um the islamic state for reasons that i can't speak on with any personal expertise this is a conversation for my colleague lucas weber but um they found great purchase there um and and they they have really turned their focus to china as china has entered the vacuum now Pending to that, uh, there was already anti-China sentiment in that part of Central Asia. So in neighboring Pakistan, you have the province of Baluchistan, and you have Baluch militants who not only resist their own government, but are also very resentful towards China because of various resource extraction projects they have in the province. And, uh, you know, in the case of like a Baluch militant in Pakistan, they would say that they're targeting China not out of any particular prejudice against the Chinese or even the Communist Party, but because... They would be doing the same thing whether the british or the americans or the russians or the chinese whomever they resent the fact that their resources are being extracted without their people receiving the benefit of that Mm. and furthermore i mean they don't even want to be a part of pakistan so let alone do they want a another foreign entity coming in and fulfilling large contracts in their part of central asia so yeah it's a mix of two things it is one, some standing resentment against uh, Chinese president in the region. And two, pr- probably more significantly, um, a reaction to China filling the void that was left by the American military, the American diplomatic structure, American contractors, and the American financial machine.
0: Well, brother, but let's talk about this reality. Now, I want to get you also, I want to get your reaction on this. Based on the article that it says back in the year of 2022... On January the 15th, the ISKP published an article following up on the December 12th attack targeting Chinese nationals at a hotel in Kabul. And also January the 11th bombing at the Taliban's foreign ministry building. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about Taliban, of course, that you mentioned this, brother, is under the current regime that women... are not allowed to go to school or attend any educational institutions and of course that really brings the tension of the whole world when it comes to gender equality or social equality now my question is very direct to you brother is if the chinese government or if the chinese companies or nationals avoid discussing those critical matters with the taliban government how much do you think that could actually benefit the Taliban in Afghanistan, and also, why do you think that continue poses a threat to an organization called ISKP? Help us to understand, brother.
1: Wow, what a great question! Uh, you know, I think for the Taliban, it's a matter of trade-offs rather than solutions. So. The Taliban, by restricting their own population, whether it's 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 that of women's rights, or um, you know whether they are even being repressive towards young working-age men uh, or whomever, Afghanistan is facing brain drain. They're facing youth drain. There are very few economic opportunities, very few educational opportunities, as the Taliban continues to squeeze young Afghan society, and it is a youthful society with a large young population, as it continues to squeeze young Afghan society, as it continues to neglect that segment of society, if it doesn't provide opportunities, if it doesn't provide some sort of pathway towards a modern future, um, which Afghans have been able to access, you know, through the internet and through globalization and through exposure to other people and other countries. Um, if they don't provide that, then they're going to have a problem—not just like you know, a, a, a logistical and a productivity problem. Um, you know, society is going to continue to flee. Young, young Afghanistan, to the extent that they're able, are going to continue to flee the country. Um, so that's an issue. where I—and this is this is a. The, the the trade-off the other side and this is me being cynical and trying to put myself in the mindset of a taliban official i'm mm. not saying that this is my personal position but were i a taliban official in addition to having been having my worldview informed by salafi islam and a very strict interpretation of sunni islam i would also probably on a more um calculating level stay. There is a danger to a patriarchal, very rigid, theocratic regime in not just letting young women go to school, but in broadening the ideas, worldviews, and perceptions of all of youth Afghanistan. And by that I mean, all right, you, you educate a lot of young Afghans, they're quickly going to realize how terrible their lot in life is and that it's your fault as the Taliban. So I don't know how prepared the Taliban is to deal with mass protests and an uprising against their regime, one which they might create. So they are probably walking the delicate line of trying to appease broader society to some extent. I don't know how interested they are in that, but that is a part of governance. Um, And so they're going to run up against that without letting go of too much of control of society Mm. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how taliban 2.0 navigates that right now it looks like they are driving their youth population directly into the hands of europe or you know wherever else one can find opportunity So, I don't know. I think that's the game they're playing.
0: Mm. Well, brother, I know you are very um, busy. Now, stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, we know that in the country of Afghanistan, that, you know, initially when the U.S. or under Joe Biden decided to pull off the troops. But, you know, one thing I have to say that, you know, I think Jimmy agreed with me on this point is (laughs) uh, Afghanistan is very rich in a lot of natural resources and i think this is uh one of the uh, uh, your co-editor which is called um lucas weber mentioned this as well it says that within the country that when we look at natural resources such as lithium gold and copper worth a trillion dollars or more of course this is a such Good, or should i say a grand opportunity for a country of uh, such as china to hold on to this opportunity and truly invest it's not just politically but also we're looking at this in this energy perspective so brother help us to understand how do you think in the long run that chinese government should work closely with the taliban government in order to receive the much greater benefit without intruding or with Without um, interfering this domestic affairs, what's your take on that? Uh,
1: man, this is another really, really good and really interesting question that I haven't given a ton of thought to. But now that you bring it up, uh, yeah, you have the gears spinning in my head. Uh, okay, this is not my personal opinion for your audience. I am. This is just like a person playing a, um, you know, paradox video game, a PC sure. game, a real-time strategy game, whatever. I'm just thinking in my head where I. Where, where are the Chinese government right now? One of China's biggest problems is that they are the biggest importer of energy and food in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so geographically, China is a large place, but its population is massive. China also has really big plans in its near future, as you know, which not only involve the consumption of massive amounts of energy, but also raw materials. You mentioned lithium and other rare earth minerals, which are going to be really important for production. So, it makes sense in the immediate that China doesn't have any greater, like, human rights concerns or any of these things. These are secondary and tertiary priorities. China needs resource extraction. China Mm. needs these minerals. And they're Being rather smart about it, they are. Now, the long game. Let's say, can you continue to work with a repressive regime like the Taliban? Um... To the maximum end of, of your needs, can you extract as much out of a country that is ruled by a, a regime like the Taliban to fit your own needs without it blowing up in your face? Mm. This is the question. China's not only facing the backlash of very serious militant groups with a serious military capability inside the country, such as ISKP, um, other more localized movements in neighboring Pakistan, such as uh, Baluchi militants. So they're, they're experiencing that first and foremost. Uh, it, it's it's almost unthinkable that China would get in the game of telling, like, the Taliban how to properly govern Afghan society. China historically has not really been... been it has not been a part of China's playbook to come in and, in a very direct way, interfere with, with methods and modes of governance. That's something the United States has done, and I think China has very wisely seen how that's been a losing strategy for the United States, how how it's lost the United States, a lot of friends, um, not just the U.S., actually, other Western countries, like France just got kicked out of Burkina Faso, for mm. God's sake. And, you know, the, these, this Afri- the sub-Saharan African government is like, no more French, don't come back. We're only going to deal with Russians now. Wagner PMC is more than enough. We're sick of the French and their bullshit. So there's a bit of a backlash in, in what we used to call the developing world um, in sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, Parts of Asia against the West, um, a because of uh, very negative history with colonialism. People are resentful, and they also have long memories of what it looks like when you, you know, when a Western power comes in and tries to run things, and, and without a clear understanding of your culture. So, uh, people are generally pissed off about that and getting kind of fed up with the West, and they're looking towards China. However. It is already starting to blow up in the face of China. So like, uh, you know, one of the things you and I talked resource extraction. Well, if you come into a country and you open up a bunch of open pit mines or you have a logging operation or some other resource extraction and you don't hire locals, Uh, and locals don't receive any of the benefit of that industry or any of those jobs, they're not going to be very inviting towards you. It's going to make them mad. And and the the Chinese government does have a historic pattern of operating in countries, sub-Saharan African countries and elsewhere, and bringing in ethnic Han Chinese to work those jobs rather than, like, you know, Pashto, Afghan, Arabs, or whomever. So, um, you know, China's, like... China is laser focused on attaining what it needs for its immediate and larger strategic goals, which are the resources. Um, And I don't imagine that Xi Jinping has a um, advisory structure where, you know, like the United States, you could have... The worst and the most incompetent american president in the world on one end half of my country would say that donald trump was the worst and then the other half would say and, and they would say that donald trump was the worst by virtue of him being um uh, uneducated incompetent mm. a host of other things that they would level against him and they would say but at the very end of the day even though donald trump dismissed the intelligence community and didn't listen to other advisors at the very end of the day he still got a presidential daily briefing every single day and and somebody from the office of the Department of National Intelligence would give him that briefing the other end of american society would say joe biden's the worst president we've ever had he's totally senile he's he's not even in the room whatever still he is getting a heavy battery of advice from people who know their shit and and they and they're they're intelligent i don't know whether xi jinping surrounds himself with people who are allowed to game out uh the longer political implications of taking a country for instance like afghanistan telling the taliban abuse your population contracts well Mm. if afghanistan Chinese resource extraction contracts remain, right? And it's not just, like, from a security level. Like, if you have a proliferation of militant groups who are nationalistic, uh, you know, attacking your your contractors and your mining sites and your, your power generation sites and these things, well, that's not a good thing. But if society entirely collapses you know, if, if, there's, if there's no governance at all, um, how, how can you maintain <clears throat> a robust... A resource extraction program in that country. So I don't, I don't know. Were I, were I one of Xi Jinping's advisors, and I were not afraid of literally losing my head, I would say, hmm, maybe we should take a little dose of the American strategy and try to convince the Taliban that stable governance is a long-term priority. But I personally, Tom Lord, am too dumb to know what that would look like. So I don't know. It's kind of a convoluted answer, and I apologize to you, Will.
0: Well, brother, again, as we mentioned before, we are only in the beginning of twenty twenty three. Regardless, if we're looking at the war in Ukraine and looking at this relationship between China and also Taliban, of course, that you know, even though in the whole uh, midst of the whole chaos in the U.S but this is only the beginning of the year and we still have the rest of the 11 months to follow and things can change overnight and things can change as we're speaking right now. But again, Um, I strongly encourage everyone to go online and especially go to militantwire.com and look for um, this amazing folks, their work. And again, if I may, I'd love to introduce Tom again. Again, everyone, Tom Lord, it's a researcher who studied political violence and he's a co-founder of militantwire.com. His work primarily focuses on left versus right violence in Europe and violent protests and urban guerrilla groups. Brother, it's always been a pleasure speaking to you and thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show i really enjoyed our conversation and uh you know more blessings to you and to your folks and we love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow the ongoing affairs within the international community so brother thank you so much for doing this hey hey will this is my favorite show to come on i always have a lot of fun i wish you and your audience a happy lunar new year and a happy 2023